What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. my family, my podcast family, and we got a big week ahead, guys. Big week. So one week from today, Find Your People comes out. And I am so excited. If you're new here, you need to know this is such a passion project for me, five years in the making at least, where I went to Uganda and I was so bothered by the joy that I saw in the small villages of Uganda with women carrying buckets on their head to get water and laughing and connecting and living with no doors and with fire pits in the middle of their village that I was bothered to the point of curious and I wanted to study why are we doing community so differently than the rest of the world in the West. And then as I did that work, I looked back throughout all the history of the world and I saw, wow, we aren't just doing it differently than a lot of the world. We're doing it differently than humans have ever done it in the history of the world. And so it is my great vision and hope and prayer that this changes everything, that there is a shift in the way that we do life and community that changes the world, that changes our culture, that changes the way we do friendship and connection. I'm just thinking about the small ways that I pray this changes your lives and the huge ways. Right now, I am about to read to you chapter two of the book. You're going to get to hear a little snapshot. Now, what's interesting, I kind of wanted to read chapter one, but my publisher thinks it makes more sense for me to read chapter two. And I get it because chapter one, I wrote long after the book was written. And it's really a description of fears that that haunted me and the way I worked through it. It's it's kind of like a... Um, afterward, basically, that's at the beginning of the book. So this chapter makes more sense because it really sets up the book and and where it's going. But I want you to know that this is more than a book release for me. This is prayers for a change in the way that we live. This is prayers for a revival of deep face-to-face relationships, even for you introverts. Yep, even for you introverts. You guys are so important to me. You're no one journeys with me deeper or more regularly than all of you. So I thank you for being part of this family. I thank you for being part of the people that are going to hopefully buy this book and launch it into the world. If you haven't gotten it yet, it's time to pre-order. And next week, in one week, it will be on your doorstep. I can't wait. I'm so excited about it. So chapter two, find your people. Here we go. I hope you love it. Chapter 2, The Connection We Crave A village. It's a state of being we all desire. How do I know this? Because whenever I have a stressful day, guess what I turn on at the end of it? The television show, Friends. Why did we love that show so much? 
the coffee shop second home, the never-locked doors, the communal living, the unique personalities that stuck it out with one another no matter what. For a decade, those six friends did everything together. They laughed and cried and cheered and sighed, adulting arm in arm. They were each other's constant. They were each other's home. And when we watched them, we felt like they were our friends, like their home was our home too. And while those six had been many not-so-great things along the way, neurotic and needy, offendable and obsessed, ridiculous and self-righteous, possessive and downright jerks, the one thing they'd never been was alone. Nothing felt more wrong to me than the last episode of the series. Monica and Chandler brought their adopted twin babies into the world and then moved a world away. Or that's how it seemed anyway. Right when they would need their friends the most, they settled for a swing set and a yard. I was appalled. And yet so many of us make the very same trade. So we move to cool cities. We move for higher paying jobs. We choose colleges for their reputation. We choose churches for the best preaching. We hunt for our dream home in the right neighborhood. We shape our lives around a set of values that were handed to us from our terribly independent, success-driven culture. But are we happy? Why we crave deep, intimate relationship. A few years ago, I went home to see my parents for the weekend and got together with some friends from childhood days. Nearly every one of my close friends from junior high and high school still live in the same community where we grew up. These girls became adults, moved out of their parents' homes, went to college, got married, and then bought homes of their own just blocks from where their parents still live. When I go back to visit, it's like rewinding to me, age 17. The streets are the same. The trees, while bigger, are the same. The landmarks are the same. My friends are exactly the same. Anyway, that weekend, after three or four hours of sitting around the table, eating, laughing, commiserating, and reliving a hundred hilarious memories, we started vision casting about the retirement home on the beach we will one day share after our husbands are gone. We were joking, kind of, but the idea of deep down communal living made my heart sing. And as much as I love my family, there is something about the vision of dear friends cooking together and sharing the daily mundane that sounds pretty perfect to me. If you're an introvert, I worry that you're about to stop listening. I realize that I am hardwired for relational connectivity more than most people. But please hear me out. Even if a house full of friends isn't your dream come true, you were built by God for deep relationships. In fact, God existed in relationship with himself before any of us were here. It's called the Trinity. God is one and God is three. If you've never heard this before, don't worry. It hurts my brain still, and I've been to seminary. The key point is this. For all eternity, God has existed in relationship as Father, Spirit, and Son, Jesus. Scripture says that the Son exists to glorify the Father, and that the Father exists to glorify the Son. It says that the Spirit exists to glorify them both. What that means is that they help each other, they promote each other, they serve each other, and they love each other. What's more, this exchange has been going on for all eternity. It means that our God has been relational forever. 
It means that he created us out of relationship for relationship and not a relationship that is surface level or self-seeking. No, the relationship he has in mind for us is sacrificial, intimate, moment-by-moment connection. Author and pastor Tim Keller said, The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. Beautiful. Relational. It's who we are because it's who God is. We were made in the image of God who is relationship. This means our longing for healthy, mutually submissive, supportive, interdependent relationships isn't simply us craving something good for us, like vegetables or vitamins. We are craving the fundamental reason we were created. We weren't just built for community. We were built because of it. Woven into the fiber of our souls is a pattern for experiencing intimate relationship with God and then expressing that love in our families and communities and churches. But here's where we go wrong. We look to people to complete and fill what only God was meant to fill. This is the primary reason we all are so unhappy with each other. We have put our hope in imperfect people, but that hope can successfully be answered only in God himself. Eternity was set in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, which means only a relationship with an eternal God can fill our hearts. Consider what you're aiming your hope toward. Who is in the center of your affections? Who is in the center of your identity? We all have a choice. The answer will determine whether you live fulfilled or repeatedly disappointed. If God is in the center of our relational circle, we will be fulfilled. And out of that fulfillment, we can bless others. But if people are in the center of our relational circle, we end up pulling on others to meet needs that they can't ever fully meet. Jesus said it clearest when asked to name the greatest commandment. He said all the commandments could be boiled down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you have God in the right place, at the center of your affections, you will more likely get people right. So yes, that relationship comes first, but that relationship is meant to send us into loving others. God desires community for us. Throughout Scripture, we see that God keeps building communities. In the Old Testament, He starts with a family. That family becomes a people group. That people group grows into the nation of Israel. Throughout the New Testament, you see God's heart for the local church. This is the way God moves throughout history. Family, community, a nation, and local church that reaches the world. God loves us to be together. God loves us to be on mission together. God loves us to worship him together. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. 
we know that our togetherness matters to God. The Bible was penned in the context of people daily living interconnected lives. The teachings of Scripture to Israel and to the church assume people belonging to and depending on a group. In fact, throughout most of the Bible, when it says you, the original Hebrew and Greek languages nearly always indicate a plural form, you all, or y'all, depending on how godly y'all are. The Bible doesn't speak to the individual. It's written for people living out their faith together. And this all matters so much because, listen to some of these verses. We make each other better. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We remind each other of God and his plans for us, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. We fight for each other to not be distracted by sin, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We complete each other. As it is, there are many parts but one body. We need each other to live out the purposes of God. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. How arrogant are we to think that even though the God of the universe exists in community, our little fragile, finite selves can survive without it? No. There is a beautiful, God-built plan for having our souls be full and satisfied. If this plan is so good for us, why don't we just prioritize the plan? Fight for this plan and make this plan unfold every day of our lives. Two words, the enemy. The enemy hates community. Think about it. If God is relationship and he created us for relationship, then guess who hates it? I mean, if deep, loving, intimate connection is God's goal, then the enemy might hate nothing more than for you and me to enjoy deep, loving, intimate connection. And that's why this isn't a feel-good book about how to make friends. This is a depiction of war, a description of two distinct sides and a reminder that everything is at stake. No wonder it feels like every aspect of our lives is stacked against our connection to other people. It is. That enemy seeks to destroy this good thing God created on the earth out of his love. The enemy wants to divide us. Rather than fighting for each other, he wants to see us fighting against each other. He wants to prevent the glory of God from shining through the city on a hill, a gathering of believers who are set apart for the purpose of displaying God to the world. We are called to be a community of people, on a mission, delighting in God, delighting in each other, redeemed and reconciling the world, bringing them and inviting them into this family. This is the ultimate purpose of community. Yes, it is to encourage you. Yes, it is to comfort you. Yes, it is to fight for you. But ultimately, community is meant to open the doors wide to every person on earth and invite them into a family that exists forever with God. Yes, a life of connection is for your thriving, but this is also for eternity. We must understand the war we're in. We must understand that the enemy is subtle and sneaky and seeks to destroy you by destroying your relationships. 
We have no better defensive weapon than having the people who love God rally around us, fight for us, and fight with us. Maybe you don't believe in God or in Jesus. If so, please know how glad I am that you're here and how deeply I wish we could meet. And I hope you encounter in these pages a God who built you, loves you, and has a plan for you to live with joy and connection to Him and to others. We all crave a collective belonging because God built us for it. And what should be true of us who love Jesus and follow Him is that because we have found our identity in Him, we enter human relationships without lists of expectations and neediness. Christ followers enter human relationships full of hope and full of confidence to love others, regardless of the treatment they receive in return. Oh, I'm fully aware this is not our reputation, and I am genuinely sorry for the ways that Christians may have caused harm to you or to the people that you love. Being Christian means we have been freed from the slavery of sin, but not from the desire of it. Truly, no one has taught me more about friendship than Jesus. And I hope as we journey together, you will see how brilliant and full of life-giving grace he is. Jesus is the best imaginable friend, and he helps us become the same. How did we get here? As I've already mentioned, nearly every generation that has ever lived has experienced a village existence. Between Jesus' days here on earth and the Reformation 1,500 years later, a custom practiced the world over was that for every 25 young people in a given place, a school would be established. In Jesus' world, for example, it was actually illegal for a family to live somewhere without a school close by, and so for every 25 boys, a teacher would be appointed. Families whose children went to school together also worshiped together, meeting first in homes and then in appointed buildings as the community grew. Educational life and social life and religious life and vocational life and family life all bled together. Bottom line, people were in each other's business. But that has all radically changed. Our priorities no longer center on we, but on me. Individualism, as we know it, has long, deep roots that date centuries back. France saw individualism break forth in the massive anarchy called the French Revolution. Closer to home, the Revolutionary War against Britain by the United States was all about freedom, independence, individual rights. I mean, come on, one of our first acts as Americans was to draft a document called the Declaration of Independence. Independence was our battle cry. Independent became our core identity. Hey, I am terribly grateful America exists, and I don't for one minute take for granted the freedoms we enjoy. But that independent spirit has a dark side. For the past 250 years, we have been declaring our independence with increasing pitch and volume, with greater and greater insistence that we can handle life on our own. From settlers spreading out and building a life for their families in this vast country to the Industrial Revolution in the late 1700s that forced small villages of farmers and their families to fence their properties and become factory workers in the big cities. We have been on a downward spiral away from community. 
loneliness first began to show up in a significant way at the rise of the Industrial Revolution. When factories automated everything, people's lives became easier and more self-reliant. But efficiency came at a great cost. Namely, we didn't need each other all the time. I should mention here that a full 80% of the world's population still exists in the context of small, community-based groups, villages you might call them, where what's mine is always ours. But for those of us here in the West, life doesn't look like that. Likely, springing from the Enlightenment's focus on individualism, the self-help movement of the late 20th century set personal happiness as the ultimate prize. And then came the birth of social media in 1997, which rewards with likes, personal branding, continuity, and snarky one-upmanship. Independence has become the chief value in this country. We are brainwashed that being a self-made woman or man, making our own way, and striving for personal achievement are the goals of our brief, beautiful lives. For generations now, we have taken the bait, believed that siloed, individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps living will somehow satisfy in the end. And yet the book I base my life on, as well as the God who built us, starts the whole big story with these two lines. Let us create man in our image. It is not good for man to be alone. And deep down inside, we know this to be true. We are meant to live in community moment by moment, breath by breath. Not once a week or once a month at a night out with friends or during lunch after emerging from an isolated cubicle, but every moment, every day, for the entirety of our lives. So how the heck are we supposed to fight terrifying stats of loneliness, the devil, and his plan to sabotage connection, and the fundamental way that society is set up and instead build what God cares most about. It's going to take a village. You know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to create a full and thriving life for us adults too. But this village living will not happen by accident. We'll have to build a new life. Guys, Jenny's new book, Find Your People, releases February 22nd. If you can get it at Target, Barnes and Nobles, Mardell, Amazon, everywhere. Guys, no matter how many times you move, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what you would call your friend situation right now, this book really is for you. It's going to give you all kinds of tools and exercises to decide who are the people in my life and how can I go deeper with them. And then there's tools for accountability and handling conflict. I mean, It's the kind of book that we all should have read when we were, you know, in second grade that we never got. So Jenny just so beautifully unpacks scripture and unpacks God's plan for us to live in community. So don't miss it. February 22nd is coming up soon. We can't wait for you guys to read it too. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Made for This podcast. Love you guys. Love you guys.